When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 326, and today we are talking about books being released on August 31st, 2021, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Patricia Elsie Tuttle, and we're coming to you from BookRiot.com. Patricia! Liberty! A twofer! I know! Back to back! <laughs> I get so confused because I'm like, there's not five Fridays in the month. Why are we recording on Friday? And then it's like, oh, it's because there's five Tuesdays. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we record on Fridays, so. You know how easily I get confused. <laughs> so, Patricia and I uh, have had some more deals today. And so, <laughs> she's tired and I'm drugged to the gills with Benadryl because I had another mosquito attack in my home and... As I mentioned a few episodes ago, I turned out to be very allergic to them. So I feel like I'm recording from underwater. Uh, You're trapped in your house and you can't open your windows because it's fire season. Yeah, and also because I'm recording, I have my filters off right now. So I'm going to sound like I smoke five packs a day. (laughs) And you had a long work day. So, But this is going to be fun because we like to talk about books. Absolutely. And yeah, but I, I... if you don't hear me respond to something, it is because I fell asleep at my desk. <laughs> like the Benadryl <laughs> is working really fast and I'm like, just gushing underwater. Like everything is slowing down. I'm one of those fortunate people that Benadryl doesn't make me sleepy. Oh, you are very lucky. I can take like two or three if my allergies are really bad. I don't know uh. if you're supposed to, but I can. And I can, <laughs> and, and like I can keep going. It's amazing. Oh, uh. I wish I had that superpower. Right now, I would trade it for anything. (laughs) You know, whatever. These are things that happen. You know, I didn't realize until a few years ago, like, even with, like, the whole internet at my fingertips that adult allergies were a thing, Uh you know, and, and, you know, one day I was fine and the next day I was allergic to things. I was like, I've always had these for lunch. I've never had a problem with this kind of, and it was like, oh, you're an adult and your body changes and surprise. Uh So if you're out there and you're wondering, like, why you had... You've been having, like, weird reactions to things that you've never had before. Maybe it's because you now have an adult allergy. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. No, that happened to me. I just found out maybe a few years ago that I am allergic to seafood and shellfish. And I'm like, I've been oh. eating shrimp all my life and I've been fined. And the allergist after doing the blood test was like, yeah, you are taking your life into your hands every time you do that. So oh dear. Yeah, just adult allergies, man. Yeah, we'll start. We'll start a, a team like of all the cool kids. <laughs> we'll be in a bubble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can have like hamster balls. Ooh. Yeah, that would be fun. You can, like, I think, don't they make those, like, that go on the water, kind of? Like, you can get those, like, floating. I've seen those, and I'm like, oh, they look so, like, hot and sweaty. They do look, they'd be uncomfortable. Yeah. (laughs) But I don't know. 
you know, I just have to kind of laugh about it because otherwise it makes me <laughs> really bummed out. <laughs> totally. Um, so thank you for listening to my medical issues today. I'm sure next week I'll have something else new. You know, maybe I'll be turning into a werewolf or, you know, we'll only want to eat cheese. I don't know. Is that a medical issue? <laughs> I, I don't, don't If it cheese. is, I have it. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Um, what else? Did anything exciting happen this week? Uh, I went to visit family, so I went on a road trip, uh, which is like six hours long yesterday. But it's fun to like listen to music and scream along at the top of your lungs you know, as you drive through the White Mountains. It's really beautiful. New Hampshire is very beautiful. Um, if you've never been there. And, you know, as is Maine. Maine is, it's very funny because Maine and New Hampshire are right next to each other. Maine is the only state that is bordered by only one other state, which is New Hampshire. And they look so different. You know, like Maine is like forest with ocean there. You know, whereas New Hampshire is like mountains, big mountains everywhere. Um, it's really cool. It's really nice here. Someday I would like to go to California, though, and look around, too. Well, and someday I would like to go to Maine and visit you. Yeah. And, and the cats. Yes, that would be fun. <laughs> I've only ever been to the San Jose airport in a... Oof. <laughs> or it costs less. When I went to Las Vegas, it costs less to fly past Las Vegas to the San Jose airport and then back to Vegas than it did to fly directly to Vegas. <laughs> so that's what we did. But, like, we just sat at the San Jose airport and uh, then left. So that was my whole California experience. Oof, I am sorry. You have my condolences. <laughs> you have my condolences. <laughs> yeah it doesn't even really count like if you don't get because like on the way back instead of flying from vegas to you know boston it we went to dallas and then to boston i never got off the plane in dallas so it's like you know did i really go to texas mm. i didn't even get an armadillo in a can like pff, doesn't count <laughs> so all right we are now going to talk about books and i'm going to try not to fall asleep at my desk and before we do that, we are going to hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone, but you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done at she wasn't. Three years later, Anna is a starving artist living paycheck to paycheck while West is a Stanford professor. Now, he is part of a conglomerate. His family owns this mega grocery store chain. He's not interested in working for them, but he is interested in those greenbacks, honey, that come in the form of a $100 million inheritance. To get it, he has to be married for five years. That's where our girl Anna comes back into play. So the two will fake a marriage, but as he gets to know her and gets to appreciate the feisty, foul mouth, paint splattered girl that she is, he'll begin to wonder if the money is worth the love of his life. Pick up The Paradise Problem by Christina Lauren to find out if it is. And thanks again to Gallery Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. 
So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Wife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. Okay, we are changing it up a little bit today because I am a very uh, sleepy sloth lady. And Patricia, you're going to kick it off. Absolutely. For my first pick, I have Sometimes I Trip on How Happy We Could Be by Nicole Perkins. I do love a good personal essay collection, and this one actually came out August 17th, but I definitely wanted to share it here. Nicole Perkins is currently based in New York, but is originally from Nashville, Tennessee. There are a number of essays in this collection about her childhood and teen years in Nashville, her time at Dillard University in New Orleans, her time in California, as well as some of her time in New York. I happened to listen to this on audiobook, and it's read by the author herself. Her narration is so deeply heartfelt, and listening to it was a wonderful experience, in case you are a person who listens to audiobooks. Perkins examines the things that she was warned against growing up, how the worst thing for a little black girl to be was to be considered fast. Then she holds it up next to her own experiences as a child trying to navigate between the messaging she receives and her own feelings of thrill and control at playing kissing games with boys. At the same time, she talks about being in middle school and the prevalence of pregnant girls her own age and the messages she got around that too. Many of the essays in this collection have the theme of sex, from exploration to being in control of the kind of sex she wanted or wants, and being in control of who she has sex with, and the power she found in all of this. Sprinkled throughout are wonderful essays about her connection to pop culture. I hadn't ever thought about Miss Piggy and Kermit's relationship deeply, and after reading Perkins' essay on them, I will never think of them the same way again. The range of pop culture she touches on is wide, from Janet Jackson to Prince to Frasier to Bones. I love that she pulls at these threads and sees where they lead. Perkins also talks about her experience dating white men, her experience as the other woman, her time at an HBCU, about learning to love her body, her hair, and herself, and her relationship with her neurodivergent brother. It's not all joy. She does talk about sexual assault, emotional abuse, having depression, and being stalked. I really enjoyed this collection of essays. It's Sometimes I Trip on How Happy We Could Be by Nicole Perkins. I am so excited about that book. I still have to read it. I have it here, and the cover is amazing. Just incredible. Yeah. I first heard of her, so there was a podcast 
years ago that I was a really big fan of called Another Round, and she was a frequent guest on that show. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I first heard of her, and then I, like, started following her on Twitter, and this collection is a delight. I really liked it. So my first pick today is one of the most anticipated books of the year. I think I talked about it on our anticipated books of the year show. I'm, like, almost positive. But it is My Heart is a Chainsaw by Stephen Graham Jones. And really, do I need to tell you anything else about the book? I mean, that title is just amazing. So Stephen Graham Jones, we love him. He's amazing. Uh, He just won the Shirley Jackson Award for Best Novel for The Only Good Indians and the award for Best Novella for The Night of the Mannequins, which is like, woo, amazing. He got both awards. Incredible. He's just amazing. And I saw him in an interview uh, several months ago, maybe it was last year, what is time, talking about horror, but the whole time he was talking about it, like, there was this big stuffed baby Yoda behind him, which was, like, amazing, so funny. Um, But this is a horror novel, however, it's not straightforward. Like, if you think you're going to sit down and just read this story uh, with, like, here's what happens, and here's how it ramps up, and here's how it concludes, then you are going to be surprised because this is unlike really anything else that I have read, especially in a horror novel. The main character is Jade Daniels. She is a half-Indian teenage girl who goes to school in this small town of Proofrock, uh, which is set on Indian Lake. And it's like a pristine town. And it's like you see in any sort of like 80s horror movie where like there's the kid's who have really rich parents and they live in the big houses and they have the fancy cars. And then, you know, there are the kids whose parents don't have anything. And, you know, it's kind of like a a John Hughes pretty in pink kind of town. Um, And Jade lives with her father, who is an alcoholic, and she works as a custodian at the school where she goes on the weekends. And she puts up with her father's creepy friends and her father's drunken antics. And she's pretty unhappy. And she's also obsessed obsessed with horror movies. Like, nobody knows more about horror movies than Jade Daniels. She thinks about them all the time. She writes about them. And this has kind of seeped into her own life and experiences. And now, in this book, she has this feeling that the town is about to turn into a horror movie. But the question is, what kind of horror movie is it going to be? There is a beautiful young woman who just moved to town, and Jade doesn't really have any friends, but this girl is nice to her, and her family is very rich, and now Jade's wondering, like, is this going to be this kind of final girl horror? Like, is this beautiful young woman going to be, like, you know, the last person standing if, if stuff goes down? Or, you know, her this woman's father, this young woman's father is uh, building on the site of murders that took place on this uh, at this abandoned summer camp. So now we have, like, the whole, like, woo summer camp horror movie. You know, also, like, building on sites, you know, that's another trope. She does have some people on her side. She has a very nice English teacher who encourages her. And there's also the sheriff who knows, like, how her home life is and is trying to look out for Jade. But there's also uh, Indian Lake is where the town resides, and... You know, Jade thinks maybe there might be like a something in the water kind of scary, scary horror thing because lakes are notoriously scary in horror movies. But now the town is having a celebration. They're having a huge anniversary. And you'll have to forgive me 
I can't remember what it, why, because I read this like a year ago, but there's like some giant celebration that's going to go on, and Jade thinks this is a bad idea. But of course, no one like will listen to her. It's a sort of Jaws kind of situation where like, you know, they don't want to stop this celebration because it's good for the town, but Jade's like, oh, you know, things are going to go wrong. She needs people to believe her, but she's having this kind of like, it's almost like a fever dream about what she's seeing and what is happening. And now the chapters in between what's going on with Jade are essays that she has written for this English teacher that I previously mentioned, where she talks about horror tropes and warning signs and how to survive if it's this kind of a horror event or this kind. And I think I mentioned this before, or maybe I mentioned it on something else, but for Christmas last year, I decided to get myself a subscription to Shudder. Like, for some reason, while I've read a lot of horror, I was seriously lacking in my horror movie knowledge. So I said, I'm going to get a subscription to Shudder, and I'm going to watch Nightmare on Elm Street. I almost said Nightmare Before Christmas. Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th and all these, like, classic, you know, Halloween, like, classic movies. And, you know, it's going to be awesome. And then I read this book, like, less than a week later, and Stephen Graham Jones spoils, like, over 100 horror movies. So I just want to give you a heads up about that. Like, sure, these some of these are really old. And I have, like, the basic idea of, like, Freddy Krueger and, you know, Jason. But I wasn't fully expecting to find out, like, you know, how all of these movies end. So if you are interested in watching horror movies and don't want the ending spoiled for you, um, you might want to spend some more time watching them before you read this book. Because he knows his stuff. Jade talks about all these different tropes in horror movies and how they end and who gets away and who's back. You know, it was just like everything. So I was like, well, that was okay. That happened. But it's a really, really compelling read. It's so interesting. Jade is a heartbreaking character and an unreliable narrator. Maybe. Like, maybe she isn't. But, you know, she's troubled. But is she also imagining things? Is Or is her town going to turn into some horrible scene of carnage? It gives you a lot to think about, not just about horror and the whole genre, but there's a lot about trauma and racism and intergenerational trauma. And I'm going to be completely honest with you because I like to do that. I love Stephen Graham Jones. And when I finished this book, my first reaction was, huh, because it's a lot. Like, I was like, that was really good, but I don't know what I just read. And then the more time I spent sitting with it and thinking about it, you know, I was like, okay, I loved that. But that was my first reaction when I finished it. I was like, whoa, because I don't know what I was expecting, but that was not it. But it's really, really good. I do want to give some content warnings. Of course, this is a book about horror movies. So, you know, it has all the all the good stuff. But there is murder, torture, physical violence, chemical use, gore, animal death, and child sexual assault by a family member mentioned in the book. So just a heads up about that. And I'm going to stop talking about this now. It is My Heart is a Chainsaw by Stephen Graham Jones. I haven't, I've been unable to watch horror since maybe my mid-20s. Like something changed and I don't know what it is. Maybe I got more respect for sleep. (laughs) Maybe you're allergic to it. Maybe I'm allergic to it. (laughs) Um, But I'm like, oh, maybe I'll read this and then spoil all these movies for myself. Yeah. And then watch the movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, like I still, I was, I will admit that I was not as interested in watching the films after I was like, oh, okay, this is why Freddy Krueger is the way he is. And this is why, you know, and 
it's not like super spoily, right? Like yeah. the other day I had to talk about this new book that's coming out about The Great Gatsby and I had to spoil the ending of The Great Gatsby, you know, to talk about this book and, and someone was like, oh, spoiler. I'm like, the book is a hundred years old and I'm really sorry. I mean, you know, if you haven't read it, like you don't want to know, but you know, like it didn't just come out this summer, you know? So that's amazing. Yeah. Well, my next pick is Fast Pitch by Nick Stone. This is such a fun middle grade novel. Shanice Lockwood has baseball in her blood. Her dad played but never made it to the major league. Same with her grandpa. Her great grandpa, John John, was in the Negro League and almost made it to the major leagues. Shanice is the captain of her fast-pitch softball team, the only all-black team in their league, which is otherwise very, very white. She is laser-focused on getting the team to the fast-pitch World Series, and there's a lot weighing on her shoulders. Shanice's grandfather had lived with her, her mom and dad, and her brother. He has passed away before the story begins. We learn that his room has been left untouched by the family, and Shanice definitely never goes in there. Shanice's team, the Fulton Firebirds, had a rough game, and Shanice was feeling down on herself. Her dad decides it's time to bring her into her grandpa's room and teach her some family history, which includes an apocryphal old chest that Shanice always thought was made up, but it actually exists. Shanice's parents have another surprise for her, which is that her great uncle Jack, great grandpa John John's younger brother, is still alive. He's in an assisted living community and Shanice's mom brings her to meet him. Her mom warns that some days are good for him and some days are not so good as he floats in and out of lucidity. During the first visit, when Shanice's mom steps out of the room, great uncle Jack tells Shanice that the reason her great grandpa John John never made it to the major leagues is that he was framed for a crime and she needs to clear her great grandpa's name. This puts even more pressure on Shanice. She never lies to her parents, but in order to solve this mystery and clear her great-grandpa's name, she feels compelled to do a lot of things she's never done before. I loved this book. It's such a wonderful blending of Negro League history and a contemporary young Black girl's mission to make her family and her team proud while making a path through history of her own. I also really appreciate a sports book about a girl playing softball. So often, sports book, especially middle grade or YA, it's about a girl fighting to prove that she's just as good to be on a boys baseball team or basketball or hockey or whatever. And this book really makes way for there to be all kinds of talented girl athletes who know that they're good. Content warnings for the death of a family member and racism. It's Fast Pitch by Nick Stone. Okay, I didn't mean to talk about two horror novels today, but here we are. And it's, it's like the perfect way to end the summer and, you know, go into spooky season. You know, it's, you know, horror, horror novels. So my next pick is by another author who I love, 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 love. It is Revelator by Daryl Gregory, who had the book, The Album of Dr. Moreau, which I talked about earlier this year, which is a really banana pants novella if you're looking for something short and wild to read. And he also wrote Spoonbenders, and he wrote the one about the support group for serial killer survivors, and I'm forgetting the title right now, but I love him. This new novel is set in Tennessee. 
in the 1930s. And this is one of those books where it's hard to know what I can tell you because I don't want to spoil anything. So I'm going to sort of base it off what the book description has and give you a tiny bit more. So at the beginning of the 1930s, there is nine-year-old Stella. She is left with her grandmother, who goes by the name Maudie, after Stella's mother dies. Her father can't take care of her and leaves her with her grandmother. And while like they are hashing out the details, her, gra- her grandmother and her father, about her stay there, she wanders off behind the house and she finds this little chapel in the woods. And when she goes inside... There's a hole in the ground in this chapel. And so, not something I would do, but, you know, she's a the curious nine-year-old. She decides to climb down into this big hole. And that's where she meets who she will learn is Ghost Daddy, who is the family's personal god. And I can't tell you too much about him because it's kind of spoilery. So, just know that Ghost Daddy lives down in this hole in the ground in the woods in Tennessee. And her grandmother is like, ah, oh, where is she? What did she do? And... and Maudie admonishes her, says, never, ever, ever go in that hole again without me. And she eventually learns, Stella learns, like, only the women of their family can visit Ghost Daddy, and anybody else who would try to go down there would be killed. But he's their family's personal god, and they believe that Ghost Daddy is their salvation, and eventually someday he's going to come out of the hole and save them all. And it's like, okay. So she grows up with this knowledge. You know, and grows up with her family's religion uh, until a few years later there is a terrible accident and she flees her town. And now, ten years later, Stella makes moonshine for a living uh, and she gets this call that her grandmother, Maudie, has died. And she also learns that because of certain laws or something, that a deal that was made, I can't remember, the land that her grandmother was living on is now going to go to the town. So we, we are told this story, it goes back and forth in time. It's not just like, here's the first part and here's the second part. Like It goes back and forth uh, between chapters, between the present and the past, or the, the kind of present, Stella's present. And we also know that after Stella fled, Maudie adopted a baby who is now 10 years old. Uh, her name is Sunny, and Stella is worried for uh, Sunny's safety. And so she goes, you know, she hasn't seen Maudie in 10 years. She goes back to Maudie's place, and she learns, because of course she's curious about Ghost Daddy, she discovers that someone has filled the hole over with cement. So she's trying to figure out, like, what's going to happen if the town gets the land? Are they going to open up this hole? You know, is Ghost Daddy going to come out? Are people going to go down there? Are people going to die? And also she thinks Maudie's death is kind of suspicious. Meanwhile, Maudie's holy roller brother is trying to take Sunny to live with him, and also Stella's business is falling apart without her there, but she really feels like she can't leave until she makes sure people are safe once and for all. Uh, there is gore. Of course, this is a horror novel, so I do want to give content warnings for gore, animal death, racism, violence, murder, and death of a loved one. I can't really tell you much more about it, but I will say yesterday when I was driving, I was listening to They Might Be Giants, and there was this lyric in a song that I was like, <gasps> That sounds just like Revelator, but I can't repeat that lyric on the show because it's a spoiler, but I laughed really hard, and I can't wait for other people to read this so you can find out what Ghost Daddy is. It is Revelator by Daryl Gregory. Um, my new name is Ghost Daddy now. No longer. <laughs> right? Doesn't it sound, because it, it kind of sounds like, this is like a, you know, domain site for ghosts or something, you know, like... <laughs> 
It's kind of a funny name for something that's so scary. Looking for a ghost to haunt you? <laughs> yeah. <right>? Ghost daddy. Yeah. <laughs> for my next pick, I have Punderworld Volume 1 by Linda Sage. Punderworld is a Persephone and Hades graphic novel. My Greek mythology is pretty rusty, so I'm sure this graphic novel is loaded with wonderful jokes and Easter eggs that I didn't catch, but I did catch quite a few. This is only volume one, so it's really about the beginning of how Hades and Persephone meet, but it's not just their story. At the beginning, we have our awkward gothman accountant of the dead, Hades, and he's doing his thing, accounting for the dead, but there's a group of spirits who don't know how they died, which is super strange. Usually the spirits can just show up in the underworld, tell Hades how they died, he can do his paperwork, and they can move on. But if they don't know how they died, he can't do his paperwork, so our hero goes searching for answers. He ends up at Mount Olympus, where Zeus is having a party, celebrating Artemis getting her first temple. Hades is usually all work and no play, and Zeus is... Zeus, if you know, you know. (laughs) Putting it lightly, he's the opposite of Hades when it comes to personality. But since Hades showed up in his house during his party, Zeus insists that Hades have a drink or a few and relax. They end up chatting, and Zeus ends up guessing Hades has a crush, and then guesses who it is. Just in case you don't know, it is not a good idea to let Zeus know if you have a crush on someone. Meanwhile, we have Persephone and her mother Demeter. Remember, this is before Persephone and Hades get together, so... In the beginning of this book, Persephone is perpetually busy with her mother trying to keep the world in a constant spring-slash-summer situation. Persephone also has a crush on a certain someone, and she is guessing this someone might be at the party Zeus is throwing for Artemis, but she really, really, really can't tell her mother and let her know she has a crush, so she's just trying to be really sly in convincing Demeter that they should go to the party. Persephone knows Demeter would never approve of her crush and it would be finished before it was even started, but I promise it certainly does start. I absolutely love Linda Sage's artwork. The coloring is brilliant and really dramatic. Her attention to detail is stunning. The facial expressions are spot on and the facial expressions alone made me burst out laughing multiple times. Linda Sage's husband has a similar yet still distinct style. He writes one of my favorite adult comics, Sunstone. I cannot wait for the next trade of this comic. It is so much fun. It's Punderworld Volume 1 by Linda Sage. Okay, before I tell you about my next pick, we are going to hear from another sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read, and I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer, always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. 
As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters, and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Song of the Silks Realms by Judy Eilin. Shi Wei is a talented young musician who was orphaned at a young age. Her sole family is a kindly uncle, but then her uncle is killed and she is, of course, devastated. With no family and no patron, Shi Wei is facing the possibility of a lifetime of servitude playing the chin. Then one night, she is unexpectedly called to perform for the enigmatic Duke Meng. He surprises Shi Wei further with an irresistible offer. Serve as a musician in residence at his manor for one year and he'll set her free of her indenture. But the Duke's motives become increasingly more sus when he and Shuei barely survive an attack by a nightmarish monster. It's like, what, <laughs> what's going on here? So this book is a sweeping epic romanticy that follows a talented young musician who is swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young Duke. And who doesn't want to be swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young Duke? She's living all our dreams, honestly. Make sure to check out the new book. And thanks again to Song of the Six Realms by Judy Eileen for sponsoring this episode. All right. So my next pick actually came out August 17th. But the other day someone read it and then immediately called me and said, you have to read this book right away. And I did. And it was so delightful. So I'm so glad that I did. It is called Battle Royal by Lucy Parker. It is an enemies to lovers romance, and it could not be cuter. It's just, oh, I loved it. This one has a baking reality show like so many books today, but it is also unique and it's adorable. So there is a baking reality show based out of London called Operation Cake. And Sylvie Fairchild is this free spirit with pink hair and uh, probably her own bedazzler. And she just loves glitter and rainbows. And she is all light and goodness and sugar and sweet. And she is a contestant on this show. And she's the most popular contestant they've ever had. People love her. But one of the judges on the show is Dominic DeVere. He is a very famous pastry chef. His family has owned this bakery for generations. And he's one of the judges. And he hates Sylvie. She is pretty much everything that he hates about baking and baking competitions. And at the beginning of the, the book, uh, she makes a unicorn cake that is supposed to kind of move on its own and instead... It ends up exploding and hitting him in the head, and he votes her off that day, which is, like, sad because everyone loved her. But also, he got hit with exploding unicorn cake, so there you have it. So that was four years ago. Now, since then, Sylvie has opened her own bakery, and as luck would have it, or maybe not, she ends up directly across the street from Dominic's family's pastry shop. Because they had, like, the best deal for the real estate. And she, you know, she's kind of building off her fame as a contestant on Operation Cake. And it's called Sugar Fair. And it's as delightful as Sylvie is. And it kind of sounds like it looks like Willy Wonka's factory inside. Like, children go in and they just want to touch everything. And everyone's just so delighted to be in there. And she has sort of a found family in her staff. Everyone gets along and everyone fights and everyone 
loves each other. And like I said, it's across from Dominic's family's pastry shop. And now Dominic is very serious about his his pastries. His uh, are the best tasting in all of London, but he's very old-fashioned. You know, cakes should be white. And if you want to get a little wild, maybe ivory. That's about it. And so Sylvie has been, you know, pretty successful, but times are getting kind of tight. And so she gets this opportunity where the producers of Operation Cake have decided that because of her popularity, they want her to come back as a judge on the show. So now instead of being a contestant, she's going to work with Dominic. And Dominic is not happy about this because he thinks she's a ridiculous human and there's going to be, you know, just everyone's going to just get out the glitter glue to try and impress her and it's going to be a mess and he's not happy about it. But also, he kind of can't stop thinking about her pink hair and her eyes and secretly maybe like he thinks she's she's kind of great. But he's certainly not going to let anyone know that. And meanwhile, he's dealing with his own troubles at his bakery. His younger sister has come to work for him as his assistant, uh, and they have a adorable sort of bickering back and forth relationship. And meanwhile, on top of all of this, there has been a rumor going around for a really long time that Princess Rose, who is like the second grandchild of the king and queen, is going to be getting married. Princess Rose is, she hates the the paparazzi and she's always been kind of a rebel and she's a goth who wears like all black she always looks like she's going to a funeral uh, and she loves video games and heavy metal and sylvie thinks that if she gets married she could convince her to use sugar fair for their wedding cake because there is like no greater honor than to make the wedding cake for a royal family now historically dominic's family has always made the wedding cake so that would be disastrous for him if you know, Sylvie got the contract instead of him. And sure enough, the wedding is announced, and now they are both battling not only each other on the show, but they are battling for the contract to make this wedding cake. But, you know, it's an enemies to lover story. So it is so cute. Also really funny. I laughed out loud several times and snorted quite a bit. There are some sexy times on the page, too. And I just, I loved it. It reminded me a little bit, there's this Pushing Daisies episode with Molly Shannon and Mike White where they have this sort of Willy Wonka kind of candy store, and I just kept picturing that for some reason um, when I was reading this book, but also just, I want to go to there. I want to go to Sugar Fair and see all this really cool stuff and chocolate rivers and exploding unicorn cakes, and I just loved it. So again, it is called Battle Royal. And it's by Lucy Parker. That sounds adorable. Oh, if you just want something cute that's going to, like, just, you know, scrub your brain for a little while, like you need some brain scrubbing (laughs) books, like, this is one of them. It's just, I loved it. I also love that we're both ending with romances today. (laughs) Uh, For my last pick, I have For the Love of April French by Penny Ames. There aren't enough words in existence to truly express how much I love this book, but I'm going to try. April French is a regular at Frankie's, a BDSM club in Austin. Everyone knows April. She is the welcome wagon and the person who makes sure things get done and that everyone feels safe and everyone loves her. April is also a trans woman dealing with a lot of self-doubt. Because of that, she doesn't really think she deserves a happily ever after. So she'll have a string of short sexual relationships, but she's always very protective of her heart. She is very much the type to think that 
it's no expectations, no disappointments is an acceptable way to live in the world. In the meantime, she'll be sweet and friendly and likable and never ask for anything, only give. Dennis Martin is new to Austin. He just moved there from Seattle to take a job as a chief technology officer. He doesn't really need to work. Actually, he made millions at a startup. He doesn't really tell anyone, though. His best friend, Jason, is also an undercover millionaire. Jason lives in Austin, and Dennis is staying with him while the contractor he hired finishes his house. Jason is the one who let Dennis know about Frankie's, the local king club that he frequents. This book starts off with Dennis walking into Frankie's on a Wednesday. He's way overdressed in a suit and tie. He sidles up to the bar for a drink, and April, ever so welcoming, says hello. Thus, the kinky romance begins. Of course, not every dominant person is a match for every submissive person, so there's plenty of necessary flirting and banting and negotiating. It gets really steamy really fast, and that stronghold that is protecting April's heart begins to crack. Yes, this is a BDSM romance and lots of sexy sexiness, but it is unexpectedly tooth-meltingly sweet. It's just so adorable and cute and filled me with all the warm fuzzies and butterflies. BDSM is so often portrayed in books or film as this very serious, intense, painful activity that people do with each other. But in reality, more often than not, it's actually full of laughter and jokes and sarcasm, there's a reason we refer to it as playing. The author really gets that, and I had legitimate belly laughs reading some of the incredibly sexy scenes. The author has also written it with such loving care for her characters and attention to detail. Details I only happen to know because I'm Black or because I'm married to a trans woman. Like what shapes of clothing can minimize broad shoulders, or what electrolysis entails, or even down to the name of one of the most recommended brands of foundation makeup for folks who may need a little extra coverage. I was really rooting for these characters the whole way through this book, even though there were definite times when they were both being absolute chuckleheads. It is maybe my favorite romance I've read this entire year. It's For the Love of April French by Penny Ames. Which I totally just downloaded from Edelweiss while you were talking about it, because <laughs> now I need to read it. I just, I love it so much. So much. Even The show, like, is even influential on us. Exactly. I know, as soon as, as, soon as we stop recording, I'm going to get battle. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. So those are... Those our our those are our <laughs> new books. What are you going to read next? I am currently reading the book of the unnamed midwife by Meg Elison. Do you want to tell us a tiny bit about what it's about? Yeah. So I've mentioned this on the show before that I kind of have a chaotic reading energy where I just pick up books that I don't know anything about. <laughs> Uh, but I've met the author before, and so this book's been on my TBR for a while, and it is, uh, there's a plague. <laughs> and <Shocking>. it's <laughs> I know, it starts, it starts in the Bay Area, so it's like, oh, too soon. But the plague is killing mostly, like, 
mostly everyone, but mostly women and children. And so um, there are very few women left. And this one woman wakes up and she's actually like a physician's assistant in like OBGYN. She wakes up and like she kind of gets through it and then she's like walking around the city and it's completely empty and she finds like she grabs a bunch of depo provera which is the injectable contraceptive and she also gets some like nuvering contraceptives and she gets a bunch of antibiotics and so then she's also trying to find these other women who are like trapped by these men who are just keeping them and doing horrible things to them. And she's almost like this birth control vigilante. (laughs) Um, And yeah, and it's just, it's one of those things. This book was came out quite a few years ago. And reading it now, it's one of the reminders that it's like, oh, sci-fi fantasy, dystopian fiction authors know what's up. Like the things I'm reading in this book, I'm like, yes, People panic bought a lot of stuff when the pandemic happened. Yes. Like, yeah, like they know they know. So amazing. It's good. I am going to. Well, now I think I might need to read for the love of April French, but also I'm (laughs) going to start. We do what we do in the dark by Michelle Hart, which is a debut novel coming out from Riverhead on May 3rd of next year which I've been very excited to read for a long time because I follow Michelle on Twitter. She, up until very recently, was the assistant books editor for Oprah Daily, and this is a novel about a young college woman who, or college-age woman, who has an affair with a much older woman, and I've heard just nothing but amazing things. And also, I just started watching The Chair on Netflix, which takes place at a college, so I'm like, this is the perfect time to read books about things happening at colleges. And also, I do highly recommend The Chair. I have, like, one episode left, I think. It stars Sandra Oh, so, I mean, that's really all you need to know. I kind like, I want to watch it, but I also work at a university yeah. for my day job. Oh, so. yeah, like, the, the discourse <laughs> on Twitter about the show uh, among academics is amazing, you know. But, like, for me, I'm just yeah. like, oh, Sandra Oh, but I also have this lifelong love for David Morse, like, serious crush mm. since, basically, like, since St. Elsewhere. Um, that's because <laughs> I'm old. And also it has Holland Taylor, who I've also had a crush on since, like, bosom buddies, you know. And I love her partner, Sarah Paulson. I love everyone, basically. I have a crush on everyone. All of you. Everybody. Almost. No, no, I lied. Not everyone. <laughs> no. You know who I'm talking about. But, um, yeah, no, I just, I'm very excited about that. And I'm excited about this book. And I'm so excited for Michelle because she's so awesome. And I cannot wait to read this. Although I keep calling it What We Do in the Dark, which is, is that that vampire that's show? That's what we do in the shadows, isn't it? Oh, yeah. See? I don't know. All these, all these hosts. But this one is, we do what we do in the dark. So it kind of sounds like it should be about cats. I mean, every book should be about cats. That is true. That is very true. I am currently in a battle of wills with my cats that I'm going to lose because I got them this bed when they were kittens that they slept in for like two months and then decided, we're not sleeping in this bed anymore. So it's just been sitting on the floor under my bed for like years so I finally took it out because I was going to get rid of it and now it's all they want to sit in and I'm just like oh it's so big and it takes up so much space <laughs> and you have five other beds that you use now and they're like no this must be like what it's like to have like small children 
when they're like, no, I need all these toys that I don't play with. They're like, no, we're using this bed. And like every time I think I'm going to throw it out, they're like, no, we're sleeping in this now. So I went off on a little cat tangent. Is there a better way to say cat tangent? Can't, can't, no, not really. No, I don't. Yeah. Not really, I guess. I'll think of something. So that is all for today. Before the Benadryl takes over me completely. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. Thank you to Patricia for hanging out with me twice this month. Yeah. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can find us online. Patricia is on Twitter and Instagram at the info file. I am Friends and Comes Alive. I mostly hang out on Instagram. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. We love book lovers. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, I am falling asleep. So you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.